0: So we're standing around a circle, we would either just got done riding or we're just about to go out. And I thought about it as we're standing around the circle looking. There was myself, a a cop, there's a truck driver, Jonas. There was a doctor, uh, one of our friends who rides, who's a doctor, Uh, there was a teacher. And if you would have thrown all those different titles into a hat and told someone, draw this out and pick out which one of us this is, no one ever could have done because it didn't matter. We were just a bunch of people standing around, riding our bikes like kids with no expectations.
1: Welcome to Trail Effect. I am your host, Josh Blum. Trail Effect is a show that dives into the stories behind trails, the community design embrace trails, and the people who are on trails as a way of life. The goal of this show is to turn the stories you will hear from our guests into useful knowledge, that can be applied to your community while providing some entertaining and inspirational content. Guests on Trail Effect include trail builders, board members, community leaders, volunteers, and regular people who really enjoy trails. Jonas Sublet and John DeGeorge are a guests for episode 9. This is a pretty incredible interview about how mountain biking brought these two together to become best friends. Take a listen and learn more about John and Jonas. Support for Trail Effect comes from Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin. smith is a full service bike shop that is a retailer for Trek Bicycle Company and Celsa Cycles. Smith's also has a full line of components and accessories from Bontrager and other various companies. For more information about Smith's Bike Shop, go to www.smithsbikes.com. A special thanks goes out to Ben Wallenack of Mountain Bike Radio for supporting this podcast and to the people who have shared their time and knowledge. Without this, we would not have these stories to tell. This podcast is an Evolution Trail Services production. For more information about Evolution Trail Services, go to www.evotrails.com.
2: We got to start over. <laughs> I didn't hit record. <laughs> but now we're recording, so we can totally laugh at the fact that I didn't hit record. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> I told you I do this stuff just to uh, yep. find my mistakes. It's the first time I haven't hit record, but it's funny. You can hear the audio in there. Anyhow. Yep. Okay, here we are Trail Effect episode nine. I'm here with Jonas Sublet and John DeGeorge. Both Jonas and John. Um, they have unique stories because they got into mountain biking, what, four or five years ago, maybe at the most.
3: Two for me, I think. Yeah. John's been a lot longer than I have.
2: Yeah. So these are guys that got into mountain biking, uh, middle-aged, you know, guys that just got into mountain biking. So we want to really show that you don't have to start out at a young age to really enjoy mountain biking and get into it and, and live a healthy lifestyle. So we're going to start out the backstory of Jonas here, kind of learn what he did before he got into mountain biking and, and all that good stuff.
3: Well, like I was saying before, before we realized we weren't <laughs> recording, had a Huffy, grew up in Homer. It's four miles outside of uh Winona, Minnesota. Did a lot of biking back and forth and had my license. I was a little kid that would be biking up Highway 61. You know, going through high school and stuff. Once I got my license, biking was gone. Um, had my first son at uh, 19 years old, teen parent, and uh so I was like, man, I just gotta I gotta do something to keep my stuff quick. So I got a mongoose from Walmart and started biking and uh, I'd bike all over, which I thought was I was doing some cool stuff. I was jumping curbs, you know, doing little tail whips, little endos. I'm like, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm sweet. Never knew that this style of mountain biking existed. Fast forward four kids later, you know, married for 16, 17 years and uh, always wanted to do. I've always wanted to do something different than a normal guy. Kind of what my grandpa always said. Never had a dad around, so it was like Grandpa's like, "All right, I'm too old to do this with you, but you got to self entertain." I go, like, oh, "Self entertain? What's that?" He's like, "You got to figure out something to do." So, you know, my brother lived with us off and on. We'd <laughs> we'd uh, we'd hit walnuts across Highway 61. Well, um, that didn't work out so well. Once one walnut busted a guy's window, which the guy had some bikes on the back, you know, and um, for then I just, I just when I seen suspension on a bike, I was like, well, what? You know, I'm riding this Huffy and then the Mongoose came along. So long story short, whatever. 2009, like I said, truck driver, driving truck. And, uh, I'm, I, I get on the scale at the, before we pull out 293 pounds in 2009. And I'm like, oof, kind of fell into that, that truck driver deal. Life happens, kids happens, and you just, you know, you just, that's what happens. You get overweight. Went down to adventure cycle and ski uh talked to brad walker which is now a pretty pretty good friend buy a giant yukon fx dual suspension mountain bike i'm like yeah 739 bucks i'm in with the big boys let's let's do this <laughs> 2009 started you know biking just just riding that what i thought was riding i didn't even know holstinger existed in winona but i just ride up down 61 do the lakes whatnot, whatever. Um, then Ride the Ridges came along. I was like, well, what the hell is this? Everybody was talking about Ride the Ridges because they'd see I'd you know I'd have a bike in the back of my little S10. Hey, you ever do Ride the Ridges? Mm, I don't know what that is. So, did the Ride the Ridges uh, 2014. So, from 2009 to 2014, did nothing really. So, I'm like, all right, going to do Ride the Ridges. Well, I didn't know you had a 15-mile ride, 35, 41, 60, and 100. Well, a buddy of mine said, oh, we'll do the 41 on mountain bikes. Ah, piece of cake. Giant Yukon effect. We head up uh, Highway 43, do this ride the ridges. I about died. (laughs) All these guys on these little skinny tire bikes, which I would make fun of. I'm not riding one of them skinny, wearing biker shorts and all them little tight pants. Pretty much making fun of them because I couldn't do it. So we're sitting here just sucking wind the whole 41 miles. Get the ride done. Come home told my wife I said I'm gonna get a roadie she goes what the guys you made fun of for the last five years I go yep because every single one of them guys twice my age 10 years older than me kicked my ass on that mountain bike so went and bought a 2015 Ravinio 2.0 Raleigh and I didn't know what clip pedals were I get to the guy's house he wants 700 bucks for it What are, what are these pedal deals? What's this? Oh, those are clip ins. Clips. What do you mean clips? Like gun clip? What do you mean? (laughs) No, for your shoes. I go, I don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, bought some, some shoe clips, some shoes. I think there's some hero gyros, whatever. 140 bucks. Like the shoe, these shoes. Oh, yeah. They clip into the pedals. Well, I did not know that once my feet clipped in, you can't just pull them out well the first time i rode this darn thing of course i crashed and i'm like oh i'm done with this I said no no you got to twist out so i did that anyway got on the road bike just started hitting all the roads around here all the hills you know we live in we live in hilly country out here and uh i went from 290 280 270 272 oh shit this is this is nice Along with, uh, you know, my mother living with us at the time, which is a great nutritionalist. You need to quit eating all the crap, fried chicken, McDonald's, you name it. I was Jared at Subway. I would do three, four of them a day. No problem. Like Tic Tacs. So cut out pork. That was another thing. I was like, well, I'm going to cut out pork. And uh, everybody's like, you can't cut out pork. Well, I haven't, I haven't eaten pork since 2015. And just started working out. So now, I'm biking and running this guy on the left side of me. Uh, I think it was at one of the school events, maybe John. And he comes up to me. I say, like, "Oh, you know, how's it going?" I was like, "Oh, good. How are you doing?" "Oh, good, man. We should we should bike sometime." I see. I was like, "Yeah." He goes, "I mountain bike." I go, "Well, I got. It. I'm not ah, mountain biking. I already did that. That ride the ridges. Nope, no more mountain biking for me." He's like, "On the road, you rode your mountain bike." I go, "Well, yeah. That's that's mountain biking, isn't he?" He's like no on trails i mean i go trails i don't know anything about any trails or ride mountain bikes (laughs) on the road anyway he had a thing you had a trek ion trek ion So john and i would start riding not knowing you know three four years later this would be like the brother i never had and then he started riding road bike with me and then i remember uh my first mountain bike real mountain bike uh bought from a friend of ours thad pool which was a uh Camfield Brothers Nimble 9 Hardtail. And I got on that thing and it fit me. I didn't realize the Mongoose I was riding, the giant Yukon FX were, they weren't even sized for me. Like I said, it looked like Grape Ape. And a lot of you old <laughs> kids, you know, cartoon babies, which I am, Grape Ape rode on the top of the van. That's what I look like riding my mountain bikes, Grape Ape. So uh, now that I have a bike that fit me correctly, I'm like... This is comfortable. This is nice. It's like going from a Pinto to a Cadillac. So John's like, okay, we're gonna go to lacrosse. I go, we're gonna, we're gonna go to Lacrosse. We're gonna get some trails up there. I'm gonna take you up Vista. All right. You know, I'm I'm riding road bike. I rode some hills, this, that, and the other. So Thad comes along, you got Johnny here, me. We start riding up Vista. And I go, what the this is mountain biking? I go, this is insane, but this is awesome. Like, this is like dirt bike, you know, had dirt bikes, had four wheels. This is like dirt biking, but human power. Ever since then, I was hooked. It's pretty much the point. So now Canfield Brothers, I've sold that bike, bought Thad's uh, dual suspension niner, uh, which was 130, 110, pretty much an XC bike. Well, I was still 250 at the time. Big Bird did not like me. So then John... Pretty much like you said, dude, when you upgrade your bike, you usually buy your bikes from your friends. So, I bought two of my bikes from Thad. The Slash 9.8 I got now, which is a big burly bike, I bought from John. And I tell you, I love mountain biking to the point that it's something that we look to do all the time. Road bike and mountain. It's pretty much John and I, if we haven't talked to each other in two, three days, brother, what you doing? Where are you riding? What are we doing? Yeah. Where are we going this weekend? And his wife rides. My wife rides a uh, road bike. When are we getting together? All but if the kids got a baseball game, we'd bring the bikes with. We'll practice manuals, wheelies, you name it. Yep. I got gray hair, 41. Well, until next Friday, I'll be 42, but I feel like I'm 25. So now to add on to the mountain biking and the fitness, I'm like, I'm gonna get, I think I'm going to get into jujitsu. And everybody's like, huh? Well, <laughs> my son's a wrestler, my youngest, and I would, I would constantly coach him on the mat. And a good friend of mine said to me one time, if you're not able to put yourself in a vulnerable situation, how can you add advice? And my son, and I said, Well, if my son's out there putting himself in a vulnerable situation, well, let me do it. Started jujitsu. Well, that's brought me down to 215 pounds. Now, in a matter of two, three years, uh, going from 290 down to 215, I cut out pork and I kind of watched what I ate, but I didn't do anything extravagant. I didn't do Weight Watchers, anything. I just rode bike. did jujitsu which things that i come now in mountain biking that i found that i love so i can do something i love and take off weight it's like working your favorite job you'll never work a day in your life if you love it right so it's just been it's been great to the point where we talk about the trips we've gone to uh and actually planning for the future and like i said old johnny d's like a brother brother from a different (laughs) mother like we like trips together, anything endurals, this guy has got me into all of it. And I just, I don't know what I did. I did a lot of stuff. Yep, four wheeling, dirt biking, cars, everything like that. But you go to a car show, you sit there and have other people admire it. Yep, that looks good, good wheels, this, that, and the other. You get instant gratification as yeah, you put a lot of hard work into that, but it's a different instant gratification when you climb a bluff that's 2,700 feet and you're sweating and you're grueling you're hitting them gears you're hitting them corners you know you're getting on that real rocky techie stuff to get to the top you look down and say damn i just rode that when several other people were sitting on their couch and to me if i'm not doing something i feel like i'm not accomplishing anything so yeah. with mountain biking it's just it's been great road biking like the winter now we'll go into indoor riding and it's crazy because john and i are like two big kids so he feeds off me i feed off him <laughs> it's pretty much why we got some of the similar things and you know similar thought processes and i've learned a lot from john and uh that's all from mountain biking just a guy riding up to me saying hey you want to want to get together sometime i didn't know him at all I was like, well, who's this guy because i'm you know i know i'm a talker but most people you know they're usually introverts not extroverts so uh it's it's been great experience for me and. I will do this the rest of my life, road biking, mountain biking, sports, you know, uh, keeping them kids going because I want to be, I want to be the dad and the role model that I didn't have. So you got to strive to succeed and do that. So I just,
2: I just love it. So to put some of this into perspective, Jonas talked about driving to lacrosse and you talk about how you love mountain biking. Where are the nearest trails to where (laughs) you live?
3: So the nearest trail, I suppose, would be Winona, which is, uh, Holstinger, uh, Lodge area. And you got Cherry Hill. Mostly single track, cross country stuff. Um, you know, hand cut, hand built. How far is that? Uh, 25 miles. Yep. Yep. That's the closest. Um, and then you have lacrosse, which I'm going to tell you, lacrosse was great before. And, uh, anybody listening to this podcast that's getting over to lacrosse recently, the new stuff that they've done, I'm just in awe. You know, you got great job, great job. And I'm just fortunate that it's 45 minutes away. It's nothing for me. Everybody says, well, how can you drive here? I do a hundred thousand miles a year in my semi, which I do have a bike in my semi. That's how much I love it. So yeah. anywhere I lay over or I have to sit somewhere for an extended amount of time, I pull the bike out, practice, practice, practice manuals with whatever you name it, or just explore. That's how much I love it. So. Yeah. Yeah. lacrosse Winona is the closest trails at Decora, um, got there, uh, first time about three, four weeks ago, which that's, that's a lot of single cut, uh, handmade stuff, but it, it's fun. A lot of climbing and you got to be on your game over in Decora. Oh yeah. Uh, there's some climbs there that just make me grab my ankles because it just hurts. And, but that is when you can't do something, you want to accomplish that just bottom line. That's why jumping for me. I crash and it's, I always think why everybody wants me to go before them. You know, we ride with a lot of guys. No, Jonas, you go. I don't know if it's because they want to see me crash or they <laughs> want to see this big old linebacker looking guy throw around a bike, but I've crashed a lot. It's why I still got a big nub on my knee from uh, crashing uh, Bentville. But you know what? I will crash five, six, seven times. I'll get up, crush myself off because you got to fail to succeed. And that's, that's what my grandpa always taught me. Yeah, I have to fail to succeed. So, One day I will be an excellent jumper.
1: Yeah. So speaking of that,
2: you're talking about some of the challenges in mountain biking. Like overall, aside from the stuff you've already discussed, like what do you, what have you found some of the most challenging parts of mountain biking are, especially maybe getting into it a little bit later? Like what, what kind of stuff has really like kind of that you really worked on more than something else?
3: The physical fitness, that's never really, that's never really been a problem for me at my older age because I recognize it a lot more. For mountain biking, it was corners off the bat. You're coming down these hills 20 miles an hour and all of a sudden there's a corner. First thing you want to do is hit your brakes. Well, Well, if you go back to your technique, which John and I have worked on, he's a lot better corner than I am. And then we figured out and you go session, repeated, repeated practicing to where I can come down some of them hills and not any brakes because it's the way you put your bike, the way you angle it. And then you got a jump coming up. It's weird. I'm a four-wheeling guy. I've jumped some of the biggest jumps with my 4 wheeler Dirt bike, same thing. I cannot jump a mountain bike to save my damn life. (laughs) And I know you laugh. You think that's funny, but it is because the thing about it is you undercalculate a jump on a dirt bike. You give it throttle. You're over. Same thing with four-wheeler. On a mountain bike, you're dealing with speed, weight, inert. And if you don't preload right, I crash every time. I've crashed so many times in the last three months. It, It just... I just want to, I want to spit, but you pick it back up, you try it again. And I just, that jumping is hard for me watching John jump. He's so darn fluid and techie and I'll try to go do his stuff and I'm off to the side and boom, they they get to the point where they look back and it's like, yep, Jonas crashed again, (laughs) but I'm going to keep doing it until I get it right.
2: You bring, you bring up a good point, especially with the motorsports aspect of it, because I think a lot of people think if you come from a motorcycle background or ATV background that you naturally will jump. And, and you're right. I mean, you can hit the gas on a, on a motor, on a motorcycle or ATV or whatever. And, and it corrects you. Like you can't hit the gas when you're on a mountain bike. There's no no gas. You can't hit the brakes in the air on your mountain bike. Like you can to to auto, you know, to correct. Exactly. You know, and I think a lot of people don't look at it that way.
3: And that's, and that's the hardest thing. So, you know, my first two bikes, that hardtail and then the dual suspension, I felt like I was outriding them bikes. I'm a heavy guy. And so, my thing is, my constant argument is, name one guy, one enduro guy. I don't all the enduro races right now, whether it be male or female, name me one person that's 231 pounds suited up. Not a one. Here you go. You got the black bear coming down the mountain, 231 <laughs> pounds, and I'm hitting the same stuff that. These guys are hitting. Now, I'm not telling them, accomplishing them, or landing them correctly, but I will hit it. Yeah, you know, you're doing it. Yeah, drops scare the living crap out of me to the point where John's got to tow me in, and towing in is pretty much your buddy that knows how to do it, which is John. You follow him, and you do what he does. Well, two or three times he told me in, especially on the Jedi drop, which is a great trail in the cross. I would stop. He say, Jonas, don't think about it. Imagine you're just jumping off your curb. And just your technique. I said, All right, John. Bought a slash from him. I said, like, You know what? I'll do it with the slash. Because if I crash on the slash, I got my knee pads on, it, whatever. We go, we ride. He toes me in and we're hitting it. John hits it. And I just, right before I went off, I closed my eyes. And then in the middle of the air, I opened it up. I landed and I was still up and I followed John the rest of the trail. Nobody really realized the first time I said it. I closed my eyes the first time I hit that drop. Because like, if I'm going to crash, I'm going to eat it and I don't want to see it. <laughs> so that's how it's going to be. But we went back. John said, you know, buddy, you just did it. We went back and must have session that drop like three or four times to the point. I don't even think about it, yeah. but it was in between my ears, you know, and sometimes like we talked about before, if you can't get past the mental part of it, if you crash, get back on the horse and get it again, you'll, you'll never, you'll never get better. Yeah,
2: and for those that don't know the Jedi drop, which I'm assuming is most of the listeners. Yeah. <laughs> um. Physically, it's, it's not a, it's not a big drop. I mean, it's not your stuff in other places that are, are way bigger mentally. That's a whole different story because you're coming around to berm. You're blind the whole time until you land. So whether you close your eyes or not, (laughs) you know, and so I think, you know, it is, it is a menacing drop because of, because of that aspect of it. You know, it's just, it's not, you know, you go to you go to Bentonville where they have trapped uh, a hammer. You know, you can see, you know exactly what you're going off. You actually see, you go under it. Not that I've done it because I haven't done mm-hmm. it yet.
4: I want to do it,
2: <laughs> but but there's just you can. It's easier to scope out, you know. And I think a lot of drops that are bigger are easier to scope out, and and so that mental aspect of all of this is huge, big time. So, so it, while we're talking about traveling. What are some of the places you've traveled to since you've gotten into this, and some of the places that maybe you've you've gone back to, and what you've really liked about those places? So,
3: I've traveled. I mean, and the only reason why I go to a lot of these places is like because John. John's a researcher. He's dude, buddy. Let's go here. What do you think about this? I'm like, yeah, sure, man. Let's go here. Because either I'm i I'll go anywhere. You want me to? You want to drive to New York and ride? Let's go. You want to drive to Texas, wherever? I'll drive. You know, I'll ride. So Bentonville's a free. He's like, you gotta get down to Bentonville, Arkansas. I'm like, well, what's down there? He's like, the mountain bike in Mecca. <laughs> I was like, really? All right. So him and I and another <laughs> I friend tell. of ours, Kevin, go down the go down to Bentonville. I'm on uh the dual suspension niner and we go to this place called Slaughter Pen. Yep, I'm like, oh man, I'm in the Mecca. We're you know, we're riding through. I'm like, stuff I've never seen before. And everybody is got a smile on their face, you know, riding through. We go on this trail called Boo Boo and Choo Choo. Four minutes down the trail, guess who crashes on a little drop? not even eight minutes there. Here I go again, crash and haven't even been here. So did a lot of riding there, which is just, which is just great. I could talk about that place all the time and anybody's listening pretty much. They've either heard about Bentonville or been to Bentonville and you got to get there. After that, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of tame down on this mountain bike and just do what I can do. Then John calls me up. Hey, you want to do some enduro racing? Huh? Like I'm not even no, I'm not doing any enduro racing. I'm not a racer. I I suck. (laughs) No, no, buddy. This is this is what's gonna get you better. Let's just let's just do it. I'm thinking about so John it's pretty much if John's gonna do it, I'm like, crap, I'll do it then. What's what's the worst that's gonna happen? When he got me in enduro racing, that was a game changer. We raced in uh the Eureka Springs, EWS. We raced in Duluth, Minnesota, and if in I hate rocks. I do not like rocks and that's why I ride rocks. When you're going down a rock drop, ledge, whatever, it scares the crap out of me cuz I'm heavy. I'm like, I know I'm going over the bars right away. But Enduro racing and hanging out and riding with John has got me out of my comfort zone, and which is a good thing. Um, I like riding really techie stuff now. Pretty much if I can't do it, let, let's go do it. Cuz I a comfortable rider you're going to make mistakes. An uncomfortable rider, you're always going to be on your game. So that's what I like to stay in is outside my comfort zone just to be able to get better. Um, and like I said, Lacrosse, Duluth, Arkansas, I mean, I could sit here all day and talk about that place. I, you know, that's pretty much where I want to retire because I know one thing, God willing, I'll be riding my bike, roadie, mountain bike for the rest of my life. Not only the people that I've met, it's weird because road bikers, and I always say this, Road bikers have a different attitude than mountain bikers. Oh, yeah. Mountain bikers are, hey, bro, how's it going? Gnarly, dude, you're going to send that. Road <laughs> bikers, they're kind of like, well, if you're not in our crew, you're not going to ride with us. You're just, a, you're just a tag along. And I've never understood that because every mountain biker I've ridden with, oh, man, you come ride with us. We'll show you the trails. If I'm out on the road and I see five or six road bikers riding and I'll come ride up with them, I've literally had got... What are you doing? Well, I'm riding with you. I'm just just riding you guys. Oh boys, we got a scraggler along. It's like a whole different attitude. I'm like, road bikers are just kind of just kind of stuck up. And I'm this is is weird because we're out here on wheels pedaling along, enjoying what we like doing the most. Why is it why is it different between roadies, mountain bikers, e-bikers? And it's weird. It's it's that's that's the divide, just like everything else. So I mean, I just uh I just love, I just love it. So, I mean, and being pushed, because this guy here, John, he'll push me. Other guys will push me. And I'm just like, yep. When you, it felt good, you know, And, and just the struggles of the, of the getting back in shape when you get out of shape, you know, dealing with these times, 2021 coming out with a vengeance. Yeah. Ready.
2: Yeah. I'll tell you what, there's, I spend a fair amount of time on a road bike also. It's almost a necessary evil for fitness and there's nothing that grinds my gears more then when you wave at another road rider, maybe going the other way down the road and they don't wave back. Exactly. And it's like, really like you're that like that much more important or whatever is going through your, your brain. Like, yep. So anyhow, but yeah, speaking of John, you know, he's, he's definitely told, he's definitely, uh, towed me into some things that, that have gotten me out of my comfort zone too. And it's been good, especially down in Bentonville last year when we went there in December. So, so let's, let's move on to, uh, We'll call it COVID skills. <laughs> we'll talk to John about this too, because we're going to, we're interviewing John as soon as we're done with Jonas here, both John and Jonas got in. They really wanted to practice their manuals and wheelies. So let's, let's go into how, like where that started and where, it, and kind of the steps that took you to get to where you are with manuals and wheelies. Cause it's been a pretty extensive process, which I personally, I don't, I need to spend more time on doing what you guys are doing. Cause you really broke it down.
3: Yeah, so <laughs> I can't wait to tell these stories. So, <laughs> you know, current situation happens and, uh, you know, coronavirus, COVID 19, whatever we want to call it. Uh, <laughs> they always say, do not give the assailant the name. That's why I say current situation. <laughs> but anyway, I agree. So, John calls me up one day, as we always talk, text, talk, this, that, and the other. And uh, he's, even though I don't drink coffee, he's like, my morning cup of coffee. What's up, buddy? What you doing? He's like, you know what, man? I, I I entered the the RLC wheelie thirty day challenge. I go, what's that? Ryan Leach. I go, oh, okay, cool. I go, I kind of know how to wheelie already because me and the boys practice a lot. But you're gonna, I go, that would be great. He goes, yeah, everything going on, everything shut down. I've gotta, I've gotta do my skills. So, all right, man, I'll do it with you. Let, let's go do it. So we go to the you know the school, our local school parking lot. We start practicing lesson by lesson by lesson. Now. I thought I knew how to wheel it. I thought I was pretty good. You know, two, three blocks, whatever. Good.
2: Pretty good by most people's
3: yeah. standards. So, and that's just practicing with my younger two, just feeding off of them. But when you break down each one of the lessons in Ryan Leach's program, structured lessons to as you go, you start one, you can't go to the next till you finish the one, you keep going. You get past that and you figure that you find out that all them lessons equal up to what you're going to accomplish. Now, practicing with John, one of the funniest things, and I gotta say this, John would get so frustrated. I would get frustrated, but he would get frustrated to where when I knew he was frustrated, he would skid his tires on his bike. So <laughs> I would, I would say, John, what are you doing? Oh, I'm just getting frustrated. I go, Oh, that's like a like a like a kid having a tantrum. It's like a tantrum skid. So now, anytime <laughs> we practice anything or do anything, and I hear John's tires skid, I was like, Yep, he's 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 having a tantrum moment. He's just frustrated. But the thing about it is you go back there and try it again. And one thing that, one thing I think that he learned and I learned from the 30 day wheelie challenge by Ryan Leach was don't try to practice something for one or two hours. Practice it for 20 minutes and leave on a good note, Mm -hmm. leave positive. Because if you leave frustrated, you're not going to want to go back to that moment. So when I took that in, I said, well, John, that kind of makes a lot of sense. He goes, yeah, that's what, that's what the program's about. So anyway, going from watching this guy not know how to do a wheelie in 30 days he was doing parking lots he was doing as long as the street would go john had his modulation down had his stroke down had his crank speed down his uh float zone everything this guy could wheelie so i just sat back and is pretty much watching a flower blossom because watching him wheelie before this started he's the stiffest guy I've ever seen on the bike, try to pop a wheelie. Cause he just, you know, you just get up. And I'm like, so when I'd ride wheelie, I was like, John, let's practice this. Keep your arms straight, stay comfortable. And then we'd sit there in the school parking lot and we'd listen to the lessons. And what I took from the lesson, even though I knew how to ride a wheelie, I didn't know how to ride a wheelie. If you know how to ride a good wheelie, it's float zone modulation and it's very little wheel crank. Well, me, all I would do is I would chase the gears. Next gear, next gear, next gear. But if I'm leaning back in the float zone, you don't have to chase gears. You just coaster. And that's what riding a proper wheelie is. And Rich Drew would tell you that too, which he's a great he's a great guy from Benville Arkansas too. So we did that. Current situation is still going on. I'm going crazy. I can only do so many workouts in the basement with the kids. I can only do so much of this. And I still drove truck the whole time. John calls up. You know what, man? Let's 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 do the manual. I go manuals. I go. I got this manual machine in here. I've been working on for the last. I go. I'm not. I'm man. I go. I'm, I can do it. Can you do a manual? Nope. I can't do a manual. Well, then let's try it. Then, <laughs> if you can't do one, don't say you can't try it. Let's try it. Once here we go. I was like, all right, man. You let's go down. Started the the manual mastery course, Ryan Leach. So we're in it. We're practicing. We're doing stuff. Pretty much after dinner, John would call me up, dude, let's go down to school for a couple hours. Okay. We'd go down there. Kids would play, do their stuff. They practice their wheelies. You got two 40 year old guys out here doing manuals. The locals are like,
4: what in the heck are
3: these guys doing? Cause all, you know, practice on your wheel lift, your wheel lift. Ah, you know, frustration. So make a long story short. We go through each lesson. We, we know how to manual. I can, I can say I can hop on my mountain bike right now. Go down my hill and I can rip it all the way down to the end. No problem. Uh, John can do the same thing. And the thing about that is, with all this negative stuff going on, the positive thing that came out of it, better wheelier and can manual. There's guys today that's been ride that can outride me. They can outjump me, they can outride me, out corner me, but they can't manual. Because every YouTube video I've watched, everything, POV videos. They don't break they just tell you what to do. Stomp, lean back, lift up, balance, blah, blah, blah. But when Ryan breaks it down each lesson, and you take that in consideration, it's like making a pie. You put all the ingredients in there, bake it, you got a great taste. Same thing with the manual mastery program. You do all them steps, you can manual. We can both say we can manual. And I did the math on our Strava, and I it's it's forty-three hours over 238 miles of practice in that parking lot.
2: I put that a perspective. Yep. Yep. That's dedication.
3: Yep. And that's 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 the drive. The guy next to me here, John, he's got excellent drive. And if he's gonna drive, I'm gonna
2: back him up every time. So what do you so now that you've been into mountain biking, real mountain biking, not yep. the mountain biking you thought was mountain biking <laughs> <Jumping> curbs <laughs> for a few years. What would you tell somebody else if somebody came to you and 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 asked, How do I get into this? or what what are some things that I should do to get into this that maybe would have helped you if you would have known. If you didn't have John, yeah, everybody <laughs> dragging needs, you everywhere and yeah. pushing you out of your comfort zone.
3: Well, that's the thing. Everybody needs a John, you know. Um, Does help to have that positive peer pressure, exactly. And it's great positive peer pressure for me. It's gonna. What deters people from mountain biking is the price. They just look at the. Yeah. They look at what you got. Oh man, you got a. Oh, that bike's expensive. No, 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 no. You don't start there. Let Let's Let's walk you into it to see if you like it first. There is decent you know four or five hundred dollar bikes out there which john to tell you in our neighborhood probably the reason why most of the kids mountain bike is because john or myself or our kids our kids mountain bike and they want to do what our kids do mm-hmm. so their parents buy them mountain bikes parents will call john up what kind of helmet is that you got what kind of bike is that you got well we got this is that and the other oh my kids wants to do what you do so if you show positivity kids and people usually want to do that and the feeling that I get from mountain biking, the feeling that John of talked about mountain biking when we get to a top of the hill, if we could bottle that up, that feeling, that accomplishment and just give it to somebody, everybody would mountain bike. Um, So, anybody that ever comes to me and says anything about mountain biking or road biking, my passion starts to flare up. I'm like, oh man, you're going to get a bike? Here's what you do. We'll take you here. And like I said, I'll offer to take anybody's child adult whatever just try it one time yep you're gonna be out of shape you're gonna hate it, you're gonna gruel but when you're in them hills, the thing about it is you got no stoplights. you got no cars, you got no trains, no semi trucks cutting you off you know mm-hmm. you just got leaves animals and there's nothing better even like night riding that's a whole different pig of riding across the trail bombing through and seeing a deer you know cut across you or a skunk or a possum and it's just you and nature out there. To me, that's a good feeling because it mm-hmm. takes you away from all the mental stuff of everything that's going on. But my best advice for anyone mountain biking, I would definitely take my time to take them out to see what it's like. Even if they didn't have a bike, listen, you can ride one of mine. That's why I'm because if if I can't share in what I love, how am I going to get you to like it? So, and met a couple of kids when we did the Granddad Bluff cleanup. That like, man. My dad doesn't ever, he's not in the mountain bike. And I said, well, hey, give me your number. You know, I'll call your parents. We got an extra bike at the house. Give it a try. You know, check it out. So that's how it starts. I've made more, I made more friends or met more people mountain biking and kind of on the same page than I have doing anything else. Yes, I've been in the car scene and truck scene, but that's all just money. You know, you got a $50,000 truck. Oh, he's the coolest guy. He's the coolest This. But if you got a $200 bike and you can whip a tail whip off that darn thing or do a back flip, you're the coolest guy out there. If you can manual, you can wheelie at 40 something years old. Kids look at you like, oh, even when we ride through our town, Jonas, pop a wheelie. Boom. There we go. Let's go. So yeah. that's that's the best advice I'd offer. Just try it.
4: Yeah.
2: So onto the, on the trails, um, you know, this, this shows trail effect. We try to keep it. We try to talk about trails as, as much as we can also. I don't want to, I don't want to ask you what your favorite trail is, but what are some ingredients or aspects of trails that you really like when you, you know, so if you you know, stuff that really s- sticks with you when you've ridden a certain trail.
3: So I like, I like flowy stuff and um, really burmy flowy. flowy. Um, I've been like, been starting to really like techie stuff and drops. Reason why I don't put jumps in there because I'm still working on that. Cause pretty much every jump I come off, I know it's going to end good or bad. So that's that. But I like really flowy stuff. Um, I haven't been to a lot of trails, even though it sounds like it. I want to get to some trails that got a lot more features, uh, a lot more wood deck stuff and, um, you know, work on balancing. But I just when you like mountain bike and you pretty much like everything, even some of the cross country stuff we've talked about that stuff, I can really work on my cardio, work on my skill, work on my pedaling and things like that. The jumping and the real fast trails, they do intimidate me, but it's just baby steps. Um, So pretty much my favorite stuff right now is the really, really Burmy stuff, the corners, Um, tight trees, because I'm running a 780 bar. And if you've ever caught one of them on a tree, it's no fun. So, all right, let me go try that again and not clip that tree. So, you know, things like that, things that get me moving fast, because I know I can stop. So it's like getting out that comfort zone again. Yeah. So high flow stuff, corners, things like that. Cause once you, I forgot the statement is you can jump, but if you can be fast on the corners, I don't care how you can do tail whips all you want. But if you're an enduro, I'm going to catch your butt on the corners. for sure. So I like to work on that stuff.
4: Yeah, for sure.
2: So is there anything you want to close with? Any good stories that you want to maybe drop before we, we cut over to John here? And
3: Man, all I, all I can say is if you haven't tried mountain biking, try it. Um, and like I said, it's just... It's just one of them deals where, uh, it's all, it goes back to just not having a dad. And I say that to a lot of people, not that I didn't have structure, but my kids, I think my two younger two boys are excellent riders because of me. They're excellent riders because of the passion I show for it. They've taught me they're, they're probably better riders, And Trevin is a better jumper than I am. I, he. he he will out jump me any day. And I would put him up to a lot of people that can jump. He's a pretty good grom. And uh, Julian, that guy can ride a wheelie and do tricks on that darn bike where I like, oh man, if I could do that at four. And it's just from starting them at younger ages. So I think biking brings families together, brings friends together. And like I said, it's just one of them deals where I never, like John, I mean, (laughs) I never thought I'd be hanging out with John or you know talking about bikes or being excited about uh tire pressure. And this guy here, he's so <laughs> he is precise when it comes. I say, John, how much tire pressure? Oh, I'm running about 25, 27, this, that, and the other. That's I say like, I can't run that. I'm I'm 230 suited up. I run 31 in the rear and 30 in the front. And John would be like, What? I go, Yes. Name one enduro racer that weighs 230 suited up. I go, I come off of some of these jumps and the bike's like. Help me. So tire pressure (laughs) is always a, is always a conversation with uh, John and I and just in, in general, but it's, it's great. Like I said, it's, I'm going to make a lot of mistakes. Um, but I can say, uh, you know, biking and just, you know, being the best parent I can is, is the greatest deal because like right now I'm thinking about, hmm, when are we going to go biking today? Yeah. So that's, that's. That's all I can say about that. I just love it. And even with road bike and people always ask me, what's the difference between, I got mountain bikers that don't road bike. Ah, it's just, that's just boring. Just that. And you know, I go, no, one helps the other because yeah, you can bomb down a hill and you can do corners. But when you got to climb, you know, a 12% grade for two miles, yeah, that, separa- that separates the men from the boys.
2: Speaking of road biking, we're gonna de- derail a little bit here before we go to John. <laughs> you did one ride, I think if I remember it right, and I may be wrong on this, you can correct me. You did like a century at night. Yep. This last summer. Yep. So that had to have been a pretty awesome experience.
3: Yeah. So I I don't sleep. Uh there's a lot of things that goes on in this head, and I'm just I'm just up while I sleep five four or five hours at the most. Doesn't matter. If I go to bed at two o'clock in the morning. I'm going to be up at six, no matter what. So it's not anything weird when I tell my wife and kids at 930 at night, hey, I'm going to go do a century." What? Okay, hon, just leave us your GPS coordinates. And, you know, she checks on me every hour. So, yeah, I rode um, all through the night until probably about four in the morning. And I tell you, that was one of the best rides ever. You go up some of these hills and you can hear you know, the owls, you can hear the deer, this, that, and the other. And, you know, you you're just, you just at one, you're working out, you're by yourself. I got my earbuds in, you know, I'm low so I can still hear the traffic and seeing the sun come up in the morning when you're riding a bike, pressing that hill. I, like I said, if I could put some of it in a jar, I'd give it to you because that feeling is, you know, no better feeling. Now, most people would say, well, being at the bar all night and waking up without hangover, that's a good feeling. Ah, that's. That's a different kind of feeling. When you put in work and you get something from it, uh, that's great. And I'll do one of my biggest accomplishments to close with is is mountain biking. I did a century ride over in Chippewa, uh, Wisconsin this summer. My goal was to push myself as hard as I could without stopping. I did that whole century ride. I think it was 86 degrees without stopping one time. Now, some people might say that's crazy. Other people might say, ah, there's no way you could do that. Yeah, it is. I had my pickle juice with me. I had all my food on me, had two bottles of water. Um, I made sure I only took two sips an hour. That was it. And when I had to stretch, I would stand up on the bike and I would stretch or I would do a single pedal. Um, which, you know, I practice on in the winter, but I did that whole ride without stopping one time, my fastest time doing a century, five hours and 45 minutes.
4: Oh, wow. On the,
3: on the bike. um, so yeah, that's just where road biking helps out mountain biking because, uh, getting up some of these climbs with a mountain bike is, um, very hard. And like John would tell you, I think he told me 20 miles on a mountain bike is like doing 60 miles on a road bike. So if you look at them ratios, yeah, you just, you just bounce off of that. So I'm the nocturnal dude. I'll ride at night, day. It could be pouring rain. You know, I'm the, I'm that friend. Hey, it's raining outside. Yeah. So let's go, let's go hit some. Oof. I don't know. I'll ride and I ride and I'll ride downpours before. So it's just the thrill of biking. That's, that's all I can tell you, you know? So,
2: yeah. Cool. Good. We'll go on to John DeGeorge
0: here. I want to hear Johnny. The sheriff. I think Jonas covered it. I'm good.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, having Jonas here is teeing you up is is definitely good stuff, but let's, let's get your backstory a little bit, John. So we got John DeGeorge here. Also, you know, recently into mountain biking, I say recent, probably what, four or five years now. Let's talk about, you know, what, you know, what you did before you got into mountain biking and kind of what led you to this path, we'll call it.
0: Yeah. So for me, I've just always really been in a physical fitness. Um, not so much as in like I compete in different things or, uh, it's just sort of been a basic tenant of life for me. Um, not just with my job. I've been a police officer for about 24 years. Um, and to me, that is a a really core value of, of being a police officer is you should be physically fit. Mm-hmm. But even before that, just it's how I kind of grew up. Um, so, you know, fast forward to, uh, well, I'll, I'll go back to riding a bike. When I was a kid, I was a town kid. So I had a little single speed BMX bike with the seat all the way down that I use basically for transportation. You know, we didn't, it was a small town. We didn't have BMX racing or riding. We didn't have any kind of a skate park or bike park. So it was just clowning around town with my friends and riding to school. And and that was transportation. So, you know, I got my driver's license and I probably never rode a bike again. That's just the way it was. That's what it meant for me. So I don't know. Um, yeah, about five years ago, 2015. I I can't exactly tell you why I didn't have anybody like get me into it or say we should go mountain biking or something like that. I probably saw something on TV and I remember telling my wife, Hey, I think I'm going to go mountain biking and you know, (laughs) sort of thing that she's not, she's used to hearing and probably rolled her eyes and said, all right, so we're doing this now. So, so I didn't have a bike um, and I did what probably a lot of people do. I just went to the nearest bike shop that I happened to be close to, which at that time was uh, blue heron bikes. I think it was in Alaska. And uh, Danny, Danny's son was working. Shout out to Danny. Sold me my first mountain bike. I pretty much went in and said, hey, I just need a bike. I want to go ride some mountain bikes. And I don't want to spend a lot of money because that's what you do right away. And Danny gets me on a, uh it was a specialized rock hopper comp, I think. It was like 500 bucks. And I went to the, I, I don't know how I found it. I probably Googled it, but I found the top loops of Holsinger and Winona. And I parked and I got in this bike and I bought a cheap helmet too, of course. And um, I went and rode and it just blew my mind. I rode the top loops, which were not technical or physically challenging. They were pretty flat and a little bit twisty. And it just blew my mind. It was almost like an emotional experience. It sounds funny to say that when I say it out loud, but I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe how much fun it was. And I did like three laps around this flat loop and, and I was in really good shape but my quads or my my legs were so burned that I couldn't turn the pedals one more stroke but it just changed my life and from that moment on all I wanted to do was mountain bike so I did like every chance I got and then I realized pretty quickly uh, that the bike I was riding was was not going to cut it so I did also what a lot of people do which is a mistake uh, I went back to Blue Heron Bikes and talked to Danny and I'm like hey I need a better bike but I don't want to spend a whole lot of money so Danny's like well here's what we got so I bought it was a it was a lot better bike. It was a it was a stump jumper hardtail um, with an air fork, a Reba fork, and mm-hmm. hydraulic disc brakes. And it was awesome. It was a lot lighter, and it actually had suspension that worked. And uh, but pretty much, I crashed. I would say every time I went out, um, and I had no idea why. I didn't understand why I was crashing. Um, but I did. I crashed all the time, and I rode hard, like really hard. And the more fit I got, the harder I rode, and the more awesome it was. And and then one day I ran into a guy in the trail who uh who was riding a full suspension Norco and it had a dropper post. And uh, really cool guy. I have no idea where he was. He wasn't from around here. He was actually in lacrosse. He's like, Oh, here you should ride this bike. I'm like, all right. So I get on and he shows me how the dropper post worked. I got on it and all right, this is what I need. So I bought a Trek Fuel EX 27 and a half inch wheels uh, with a dropper post, and I instantly stopped crashing. So I figured out really quickly. I was riding, you know, these 71 degree head angle hardtails with no dropper posts in a way that you're not supposed to ride them. But to me, that's what mountain biking was. And I didn't watch YouTube. I didn't know anything about racing or or anything. I just rode really aggressively and crashed all the time on these bikes. So I got the right bike and it it became even more fun. And I realized pretty quickly that's how I like to ride. So, uh, that's how I got into it. And from then on, I just, I rode every minute I could, I've, I've been riding ever since. And, and when I'm not riding, um, and I have a spare minute in my head, I'm usually thinking about mountain biking or I'm calling Jonas or, or, you know, as much as he says, it's me calling him, he's calling me and saying, Hey, let's do this. Or, Hey, did you see this? Or he'll send me a video. And, and, um, that's pretty much how it's been for the last five years.
2: Yeah. That's awesome. So to put this into perspective, again, we did this with Jonas. What's, where's the nearest trail system to where you live?
0: Uh, so I live about 9 miles south of here. I live south of Rushford. Um and I live 31 miles from the Decorah Trailheads, 30 and a half miles from the Holzinger Trailheads in Winona and I don't know 35 or 40 from Lacrosse. So it's sort of right in the middle of everything. So yeah, we we do have to drive everywhere we ride our mountain bikes, but one of the kind of nice things about where I'm at is I sort of have a few different options that are all about the same distance.
4: Yeah.
2: Let's talk about some of the challenges. You know, you've already gotten into it a little bit with, uh, you know, when you switched over to a full suspension of the dropper post. You know, what are some of the other challenges you found with with mountain biking in general as you've transitioned from just finding it to where you are now?
0: I think, uh, I think challenges for me are, I think... Every aspect of riding is sort of challenging for me. I, I'm not, I'm not as physically fit as I could be, and and I'm not as good at cornering as I could be, or certainly not as good at certain skills or jumping as I could be. So I, I guess I sort of look at every every aspect of biking as being a little bit of a challenge, um, because it doesn't really matter where I'm at on the spectrum of comparing myself to someone else. Um, I'm, I'm probably more physically fit and a little bit faster peddler than some people but nowhere near as physically fit or as fast pedaling a bike as somebody like yourself or Eric or the young family, or, or these, you know, you guys have been doing it a long time and have, have pretty remarkable fitness. And at the same point, I might be a little bit better at jumping or, or cornering than, than some people. But when I ride with, you know, people like Josh Kenworthy or Jed Olson, who, who've been doing it so long, they make everything look so easy and natural and they're so fluid. Um, I have I have a long ways to go and I have not just a long ways to go, but like the ceiling is super high. Yeah. So I have a lot of improvement I could make. So I think every aspect of riding is challenging for me, but the cool thing about it is there's really no limit to how much you can progress. And you talked about us getting into it older. And I think I was probably like 38. Um, I'll be 44 here in a couple of months. So yeah, I mean, we, we did, we both got into it older, but that really, I don't think has hurt us either of us physically other yeah. than you know there's a lot of years we could have spent developing skills but you know we're in pretty good shape physical training and fitness and strength training and all that is still an important part of life and uh and we're pretty durable you know yeah we do crash we both crash quite a bit but but we don't have like the you know the the old bones thing where like oh i can't crash i'm old and like like we we do all right i think being strong physically really helps I think you're, you know, when you learn a bit about physiology, you understand that your, your structure is held together by tendons and muscles, not just bones. And if you keep those things, um, strong, your, your shoulder girdles are where they're supposed to be. And, and, and your back is strong. And so you can take a little abuse. Jonas, I think, um, benefits a lot from jujitsu. You know, he, he talks about crashing. Our last trip down to Ponca, the Buffalo Outdoor Center was, was a good demonstration in crashing. Uh, like there was a lot of times we're ripping on a trail and of course Jonas and I hear a bang, but he always, he does, he bounces back up. And I think a lot of that is due to jujitsu and strength training and, and being durable. So, I mean, we sort of accept that. And, uh, I don't think age is something that now, you know, granted we're in our forties or our sixties or seventies, but, but I don't think age is something that should prevent you from trying to push your limits.
2: Yeah, for sure. This is a good segue into what we call with with Jonas, the COVID skills. So let's hear your take on what you guys went through with COVID skills with your uh, manuals and wheelies, because I'm pretty impressed with how both you two had the discipline to really stick with this and put the time in. And now you've mastered both
0: those skills. Well, I I wouldn't say mastered. I don't know if that's...
2: Well, I don't know if you can ever
0: master it. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
2: But compared to where you were, say, in April.
0: Right. Yeah. So discipline is the word you used. And, uh, you and I talked about this and you and, you and I have talked about this in other conversations. Mm-hmm. Just, it's something that is essential to my life. And I know when I'm struggling with certain things, it's because I have not been disciplined. And if I'm successful in any path, it's because I have structure and discipline. And for me, I recognize that actually pretty early on in my life, which, which is good. So when we talk about discipline, we were super disciplined over the winter because we decided we were going to commit to the, uh, the Arkansas enduro series. The whole series, we're gonna race the whole series uh in 2020 and we were gonna do Duluth and some other races. So we both committed to some lengthy structured training plans. And we got in really good shape and maintained our fitness and uh and then you know what happened happened and now every race is canceled. So you know, we did our we did our pity party for a little while. You know, we'd call each other during the day when we were at work and complain about this, and we don't get to do this. And do you think they'll have a race? No, probably not. And and then it, it kind of we came, both came to the realization that all right, we got to channel this. We got to we need some structure. And I think like a lot of people that mountain bike, especially the way we do, you know, we always oh, I want to learn how to man. You know, we got to figure this out someday. So we'd go to the trailhead. You'd try to pop a manual in the parking lot while your buddy put his shoes on, and then you went and rode. Yep. So what we decided is, all right, let's do this. And uh, what kind of spurred it for me is I was on Pink Bike one morning, like I always am having coffee before work. And I saw Ryan Leach had posted, because of the current pandemic, I'm going to give away my, I think uh, he called it his 30-day wheelie challenge for free. So I signed up and I talked to Jonas, who's a pretty good wheelier himself. And I said, all right, I'm doing this. We should do it. And, and he said, all right, I'll check it out. So we came down and started practicing. Having that goal... I think was super helpful because now we had goal and we knew we needed structure because we weren't just going to sit and, and wait for this whole situation to be done. We were going to do something to get better and take advantage of this. And one of the things I thought is we wouldn't do this if COVID wasn't happening because we'd be racing, we'd be riding, we'd be training and all that kind of thing. But but if we can come out of 2020 with with some skills that we probably wouldn't have otherwise, you know, it gives us something positive to bring out of this year. So Yeah. Jonas told us some stories. The skating is, uh, yeah, that's, (laughs) that's true. I do that. And I have, I have put some flat spots in some tires when it was like 90 degrees in July and everything's super sticky. And I, yeah, wrecked a couple tires doing that. But so we went through it. And one of the really great things about that program is, uh, if you watch a YouTube video on how to wheel it, you'll watch a five or 10 minute video where they basically go through and they tell you all these different things you need to do. And I'll go practice. That was never realistic for me because it isn't that simple. There's mm-hmm. so many little nuances that you cannot overstate the importance of that you can't focus on if you're trying to do 10 different things at once. So the great thing about the Ryan Leach program is you get one skill to focus on each lesson. And I say each lesson, not each day, because there's times where you can go through four different lessons in a day. And there are some lessons like in the on the manual course that we spent a couple of weeks on before we ever moved on. Because you get these specific markers you have to hit before you graduate to the next lesson. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of frustration, even through you know um, lesson eight or 10 in the wheelie. And I'm thinking, man, I got to learn this in 30 lessons. I'm on lesson 10 and I can't wheelie more than seven or eight pedal strokes. But I think what I wasn't understanding is each of those little skills that you work on those days, you master that and then you move on to the next skill. Well, you retain that that skill that you mastered that day. And for me, it was about day 18 where all these little skills you've retained suddenly come together enough in a way that the totality of them allows you to wheelie. You don't expect it to happen. I was as terrible on day 17 as I was on day five, but on day 18, it was like I flipped a switch and I could wheelie because whatever it was that day came enough of these skills came together and all of a sudden you could do it. And then after that was just refining it. So same thing with manuals, And we worked on manuals probably the same amount of time, maybe a little bit longer. But again, it's that little incremental approach to to you work on this skill, this day, nothing else. And Jonas had a great point. A lot of times we'd only practice for 20 or 30 minutes because once you get fatigued and you start losing it a little bit, then you got to quit because you want to end. You know, reflection is a big part of it. So as you go home and you reflect on the, the little victories that day, or we, we'd even text each other later about how awesome it was that you did. we were able to do this that day. You know, you got that vis- visualization in your head coming into the next day instead of frustration. So, yeah, the big thing for us was we we came out of 2020 with these skills that every mountain, let's face it, whether they say it or not, every mountain biker wants to wheelie. Every mountain biker wants an auto manual and very few. And we would be right in this same boat ever really put the time and commitment into doing it because it isn't as simple as watching a five minute YouTube video and going out and practicing in the parking lot. Jonas said, I think we had 43 hours in the manualing. Well, if you break that down into a 30 minute session, that's about 80 sessions that we spent out in the parking lot doing this. So, you know, in 80 sessions, how long does that take? It takes a long time for, you know, in days, but so that was something that was really important to us now because we'll retain those skills forever. And without, this current situation, we would have never put the time into learning.
2: Yeah. So let's transition into Enduro racing. You know, Jonas talked about how you called them one day and said, let's go and do, let's go do some enduro racing. What was the impetus behind that? Or why'd you why'd you decide to dive into the competitive side?
0: I think um, man, again, I I a lot of times I don't have a specific marker where I can tell you this day I decided this. Yeah. I think it was just something that I became a real fan of. Yep. Because enduro riding and racing for me is sort of like what mountain biking is to me. It's casually riding to the top of a hill with your buddies, like talking smack or or whatever. And um, and then ride riding down as fast as you can. It was just that simple. And and when I figured out that there's a race format that does that, I'm like, oh yeah, we need because we both are are competitive people in life mm-hmm. in a lot of different ways. And it sort of became natural that we thought, all right, well. If this exists, let's at least go try it. I think it'd be cool. But really, what it was, I think, was sort of the vibe you get from watching enduro events and races. It just looks so cool. It looks like everybody's having a good time. You can be competitive in your own head. Cause what's competitive? You know, we race in our age categories. So 40 to 49 is usually most, which, you know, if you think you're fast because you won that class and, and you know, you think that's awesome, um, that's great. But if you look at the expert or the pro categories, you're probably not even in the top 50%. Mm-hmm. So it makes you put it in perspective. You, you're not, you know, you're racing against yourself really. And, and you're trying to get better and faster or with your friends. You know, Kevin, our buddy Kevin is a is a pretty fast guy too, riding downhill. And uh, he's about our age. And when we race Eureka Springs, we put a beer on each stage. Kevin and I did. So, and Jonas was new. So, you know, we didn't lump him into that, but we're going to next time. <laughs> but Kevin and I said, all right. We're gonna we're gonna do this stage for stage of beer. There was there was 12 stages over two days. And we ended up, I think I I ended up a few beers up on Kevin, but pretty close to even. That's the kind of competitiveness that that is super fun to me. You know, like I said, winning your age class is great, but you know, unless you're winning the pro class, I mean, you gotta be pretty humble about the division you're competing in. So I guess that's a long answer that doesn't answer the question. I can't really tell you what one thing made me say, let's do this, but I will tell you. The first race we ever did was incredible. It was awesome. And it was exactly what I expected it would be. It was super fun competing with my friends and it was super fun, um, you know, making friends because, because that's what it is. It's, it's exactly what I thought it would be. Like I said, it's just mountain biking where, where we're all together at an event. And we've made friends in neuro racing that I stay in contact with that, that we still talk to, um, that. That I know we're gonna we'll be friends as long as we we do this sort of thing. So I think uh I think it it really fit with us because you know, one thing that Jonas didn't talk a lot about was me getting him into riding. Um, and how like I looked at him, and every time we talk, I'm I'm like, dude, you need to be riding a mountain bike. You know, he raced uh four-wheelers, you know, he rode motocross, but yet he pedaled a road bike and was really fit, especially for a big athletic guy. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're just you know you, you're made to do this you got to do it and and he'd always say like really you think so and i'm like yeah i think so so here we are you know a, a couple of years later and he sold his his racings and four-wheelers and his his dirt bikes and and uh you know now he's all in on it so i mean i don't know enduro racing's so fun because i think it gives us something to train for like i said before i'm the kind of person that needs some discipline and structure and um it sort of provides us that thing like you know, we'll now start our Zwift uh, uh, training programs over the winter, anticipating racing next year. And we'll have twelve-week programs, seven-week programs set up to about you know shortly before race season starts, so that we're in at least not catching up on fitness by the time it starts.
2: Yeah. So, do you have a favorite venue that you've been to so far? I know you talk a lot about Arkansas. Obviously, the northwest corner of Arkansas has got a lot of venues, but is there one
0: that sticks out? Yeah, we haven't done a lot of enduro racing around, um, Duluth, Arkansas. Uh, we did Welch when they had it, which was yeah. pretty cool, um, for, for what it was. I think my favorite was probably Eureka Springs. Okay. For a couple different reasons. One, it was the EWS event. So we got to see EWS pros riding and racing. You know, we met Cody Kelly, super cool guy. Uh, McKay Vizina, I think he won it that, that year and Cody came in second. I mean, y- you'd be on a shuttle during practice or, or after the race, you're sitting around having a beer and these dudes would sit with you and talk to you like, like, like we are right here. Yeah. You'd never know. They were traveling the world racing and, and, you know, some of the best out there. And I think that speaks to what mountain biking is really, you know, you're not going to hang out with, with Lance Armstrong or, or, um, Peter Froome or whoever at at a, at a pro-am. But Eureka Springs was cool because along with the fact that it was EWS, it was a two-day event which was pretty awesome. And they had an urban stage, which was super cool. You know, and the whole community just like like took it in as, as this is really cool that all these people came here to race. And, and yeah. people were lined up on the streets during the urban stage, like in their backyards, watching us huck off of their retaining walls and, and blast down <laughs> these staircases. And one of the coolest parts of that was when we lined up on day two, which was the start of the urban stage, it was the first stage of the second day, It was in the courtyard of the Crescent Hotel was where the race started. Well, there was a wedding there. So the (laughs) wedding party was out on the balcony of the hotel watching 400 racers lined up, dropping in this urban stage. And they were like cheering us on. So that was kind of cool. I mean, in a a place like that where these people must have have picked out this venue to have their wedding. And apparently they thought this was worth watching. So, yeah, I think Eureka was my favorite. And I'm really looking forward to going back there.
2: For those of you that haven't been to Eureka Springs, it's a pretty unique community. It's it's kind of I mean, I've i I've never been to Europe, but I would liken it to some of the really old school narrow streets, you know, stuff that's built into the side of hills community. And I know driving even like a half ton pickup truck around that community is sometimes difficult.
0: Yeah, it is. And it's it's cool because things are built into the side of the hill. And these buildings have been there, I don't know, 100 years. Over 100 years,
2: easily. It's an old community.
0: And when you walk the streets and you look, it's it's kind of, I always think, how did they make these things square and plumb? Yeah. And then how have they stayed that way? So it's yeah. pretty
2: cool. And why here?
0: Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it is. And it's still kind of that eclectic, uh, you know, um, whatever you want to call it, community that you, there's just that vibe there that it is it is different. Yeah. Cool so place to visit. I don't know that I would want to live there
4: yeah
2: so speaking of uh eureka springs let's, let's talk about how maybe some of the places you've traveled to for not racing but just maybe a, a community that stuck out that you've traveled to that really that you really that you want to go back to maybe haven't gone back to
0: moab is at the top of the list really and that's a cool story um so a few years ago it was i don't know a year or two after i started mountain biking i was at Yeah. Jonas mentioned earlier, his, his kid wrestles Our both our kids have wrestled since they were little. And uh, while they are still pretty little, but a few years ago, we were at wrestling practice and, um, I'm hanging out watching. And, uh, one of the, the other guys whose kids wrestle came over to me, um, from Rushford and he's like, Hey, you like the mountain bike, don't you? I go, yeah. He's like, meet a bunch of guys at work. We're going to go to Moab in June. You want to go? And, of course, because that's what I do, I'm like, oh, yeah, that'd be awesome. I didn't ask him who was going. I didn't ask him how many people, how long, you know, if these guys rode bike, nothing. I'm just like, yep, let's do it. So then later, I'm like, oh, man, I should ask more questions before I committed to that. But I'm committed, so I guess we're doing this. And it was was like 10 other guys I had never met, most of whom had never mountain biked, and a few of whom had, and only two of whom really did it very much. And, uh, that became apparent to me and I started kind of worrying about how this trip was going to go. You know, it doesn't take very many people to ruin a trip. If you have 10 people, the odds of having one bad egg are probably pretty good, especially Mm -hmm. if you've never met them, but we were committed. So we were going to do this. And, uh, so long story short, we drove out there, we rode for three days and came home. And, uh, the second day we did the whole enchilada. I would say most of the enchilada because we couldn't get up to uh, Borough Pass because of snow. So they dropped us off at Hazard County, which is, I guess, would be like the second stage from the top. Still a lot of trail descending. And that was uh, one of the greatest days of my life. Riding with 10 people, nine of whom I had never met in my life, down this, this whole enchilada. It just... like I can still put myself there. And it sounds kind of funny with all the different experiences I have in my life. But that was the greatest day ever on a bike and one of the greatest days ever of my life. And one of the reasons it was so fun is uh, it was pretty much me and two other guys who said, all right, we're doing everything and we're going to do it fast and it's going to be awesome. And the guy that I was chasing down the hill was a super skilled motocross rider and a really skilled mountain biker, really good downhiller. I was... I was probably as physically fit, if maybe a little more physically fit than him just cuz I'd been riding a lot, which which helped me keep up with him mm-hmm. because I definitely wasn't as good a rider as him. But we spent, I don't know, I don't know how long it took us. But I think it's about 4500 feet of descending over probably 20 some miles and we just chased each other down the hill. Eventually it just ended up being he and I chasing each other down the hill as fast as we could for 4 hours and it was it was yeah, it was awesome. And, you know, that trail system was so great because if, if anybody's ever ridden it, they know what I mean. If they haven't, it's old and natural, but almost like it was made to ride a mountain bike down. Yeah. So that that, that definitely is is my greatest day biking. It, you know, it probably always will be.
2: What kind of advice would you have for somebody getting into mountain biking? Say somebody came to you, whether it's, a you know, maybe a coworker, acquaintance, whatever, you know, and say, hey, John, want Try this mountain biking thing. You seem to be all pumped on.
0: Yeah, I would know? say uh, that's happened a lot. Yeah. And what I would say to those people is, yes, you should. Because the first course always is, hey, I've been thinking about mountain biking. Yep, you should do it. I mean, it doesn't matter what situation you're in financially with time. You should mountain bike. Yeah. Because you can go out and buy a $10,000 bike and you can spend all the time in the world on it. You can have a great time. Or you can find a used bike for a 1000 bucks that has hydraulic disc brakes. And knobby tires. And you can go ride it on a mountain bike trail and have a blast. Mm -hmm. Um, And everywhere in between. I would tell somebody, don't let equipment hold you back. Don't let time hold you back. Because if you can only do it once in a while, you'll still get a taste of it. You don't have to have that nice of stuff. What I think is if you have hydraulic disc brakes, go ride your bike on a mountain bike trail. Put knobby tires on it. Hopefully, you can have an air fork on the front. If not, whatever. One of my favorite bikes to ride on the trails is my fat bike, Full Rigid. It's awesome. I love it. It's, it's efficient. Um, it's not as slack or as, as, uh, burly as my trail bike. So mm-hmm. it's a lot quicker a lot of times. So equipment shouldn't hold anybody back. Um, fitness shouldn't hold anybody back. You know, we, we both, it doesn't matter how fit you are. You're not bike fit. It yeah. doesn't matter how good a shape you're in. If you've never biked like I didn't when I started, you're, you're, you're not going to get far. And that's pretty cool too, because that's humbling. Uh, you think you're in good shape and you are but not to ride a bike. So you know Jonas was a lot bigger than me when he started mountain biking but where he was at physically when he started mountain biking was was way ahead of where I was at even though I was a lot smaller just because he rode a road bike
4: yeah. so
0: yeah, I would say yes you should mountain bike. don't let any of these things hold you back. find somebody that you are acquainted with or you're comfortable with and have them take you somewhere because and that goes into another thing. Don't be intimidated. You know, we all, we all ride road bikes and, and yeah, there's, there's a bit of a road bike vibe that, that isn't as welcoming probably. And that probably comes from being competitive. And, and I don't know. Um, it's, it's not as casual. Yes. Um, it's probably more metric and fitness based than mountain biking is, but getting back to it, find somebody to take you out because you don't need to be intimidated. You know, one of the things I love about mountain biking is, you know, I'm I'm the sheriff of Fillmore County. I'm elected. I've got 50 employees. I'm I'm the chief law enforcement officer of the county. I remember a time when we just got done doing trail work and we were all going to ride. And I remember this because it, to me, it was such a great um, example of what mountain biking really is. So we're standing around a circle. We either just got done riding or we're just about to go out. And I thought about it as we're standing around the circle looking. There was myself, a, a cop. There's a truck driver, Jonas. There was an, a doctor, uh, one of our friends who rides, who's a doctor. Uh, there was a teacher. And if you would have thrown all those different titles into a hat and told someone, draw this out and pick out which one of us this is, no one ever could have done. It because yeah. it didn't matter. We were just a bunch of people. Standing around, riding your bikes like kids with no expectations. It doesn't matter how fast you are. It doesn't matter what you do for a living, how much money you have, what your social status is. Nobody cares. It's just awesome. So find somebody to take you mountain biking and just go and don't worry about how slow you are or how how unskilled you might be. Because that other person isn't going to care and neither is anybody else.
2: That that other person probably fully understands your insecurities because they were there once too.
0: And they still are at some level. When I yes. go ride with you, I know I can't keep up. And you know, you 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 don't give yourself a lot of credit, but not only are you super fast from a cross-country perspective, but you're a really fast descender. And uh, I know I'm not going to keep up with you when we go ride, but I don't care. And I don't for a second think, man, Josh is going to be waiting for me on these climbs. I'll laugh about it. Like, we'll crack jokes about it. Yeah, as you should. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> And then, like I said, I'll, I'll go out riding with people who are new, who've never ridden. And, and, you know, I don't in any way feel like this is a waste of my time because I have to wait for this person. I think it's awesome. And I make sure th- that that person understands that. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you are or how good you are. You're going to ride with somebody who's better and faster. So that's, you know, that's the great thing about mountain biking. Everybody knows that.
2: For the record, I can't wheelie. I can't manual.
0: it's in there i need to be more
2: disciplined on the ryan leach challenge (laughs) there you go you know so but yeah what do trails mean to you or what if you had to pick certain aspects of trails that you've really enjoyed like what is what is the stuff that you really like on trails features and whatnot
0: so the things i i guess if i had a favorite type of trail it would be it would be a natural trail that had some natural jumps and drops in it Mm-hmm. So um I talked about the whole enchilada. There's this two-track that's a big part of it. And I don't know the names of these segments of trails. You might. And if you do, I don't. Okay. But there is this two-track that's a pretty long part of it. It's before Porcupine Rim single track or lower I don't know. But it's kind of a two-track, uh, natural, chunky, but it's really fast. And there's a lot of like three, four-foot drop sections. And what I remember about it is just out of necessity, because I was chasing this downhiller, just laying off the brakes and remembering I'm committed to everything on here. I'm either going to make it or I'm not. And that's just the way it's going to be. There's no rolling. There's no stopping. And going into it with that mindset and then hitting all those features, clearing them and was awesome. So I would say, yeah, that natural trail that that has some natural features and even some built-in features to the natural trail. The old Obi-Wan in lacrosse was awesome. Um, oh, yeah. Natural. It was like
2: the, one of the original trails we ever built.
0: That to me was awesome. Gnarly with some some tight, rocky corners. Yep. I remember riding that trail and crashing a lot. And then also trying to ride it as fast as I possibly could to see how fast I could get to the bottom of it. So those would yep. be my favorite type of trails. And I do love jump trails. I love flow trails. Um, but I also like a trail that really makes you have to ride your bike.
2: Yeah. One of the things I've noticed as a person involved with building more is there seems to be a, a desire coming back, especially, I don't know, I don't actually don't know what, what what's causing it. Maybe it's just because I've gone away, but there seems to be a desire to get some of that more raw, narrow, tight single track back into mountain biking. You know, the, the good thing about the flow stuff and the machine belt stuff is that it does lower the barrier of entry, especially on the blue and green level of, of abilities. But I think maybe it's the fact that now people are, have entered, there's starting to get to be that desire for more diversity. And so that's that's pretty cool to hear because I I think, at least where we live, I'm looking forward to hopefully getting more of that stuff incorporated. And you, you got to have trail diversity, but it's good to know that people are looking for more of that old school feeling again.
0: It, it is. And I think people...
2: And na- I should say natural feeling, not old school. Natural is probably a, better, a better, way better way of putting it.
0: Yeah, I think you're right. And I think people look for that to travel. Uh, what, what you guys did with Granddad's Bluff is incredible. And all you have to do is go out there. If you went out there today, it's like, I can see it. It's flurrying outside right now. It's snowing. I bet there's tons of people on those trails today. People riding bikes, people walking, because like you said, the, the, the barrier is not there. Yeah. They're super cool, scenic, fun trails that anybody can ride. And that's really what has been needed to get people more involved. When the new downhill trails went in a couple of years ago, guys like us were were giddy. It was awesome. But yeah. you weren't gonna see a lot of families, you know, hitting Jedi or Vader.
2: Definitely not hitting Vader.
0: <laughs> so I think uh you're right, that diversification of trails is what I don't know. I guess maybe that to me is what what I look at as a mature trail network. Where you have all those different aspects where the, the barrier for entry is very small, but then there's still challenging stuff for everybody. Yeah.
2: So in closing, you have any good stories you want to close with quick before we uh send this sun send this one down the road?
0: So good stories is down tough the trail. For me. I get asked that a lot, especially with work. You know, I, I talk to the driver's ed kids every year. Yeah. And they're always like, tell us a story. And first, my st- stories are not appropriate for driver's <laughs> ed kids. But even second, I tend to forget these things. But you know, I don't know about stories. Um, I gotta work on that. I gotta start writing things down. But I, I would say that that for me, if there's something I wanted people to know about mountain biking, I would say it's very much a parallel to how I live my life. And mountain biking, it means something different to everyone. To some people, it's a way to be physically fit. And it's cross country racers, there's there's a it's a more of a numbers game. Mm-hmm. And then you've got, you know, people that just want to hit their jumps or ride downhill. For me, mountain biking is, like I said, it's a parallel for life because I really believe that whether you're talking about your professional career or or something you enjoy as a, an activity like mountain biking, you can't grow unless you take chances or, or your ceiling's limited if you're not willing to get out of your comfort zone. You know, I had, we've all had jobs or, or things in life that that we knew we could do forever. And if we don't take any chances, we could have a comfortable living and and it'd be just fine. But mountain biking is one of those things to me. And again, what it means to me is I can stand at the top of a road gap drop and I can stare at it and think, I, I think I can do this. Like it's within my skill, but if it goes bad, it's going to go real bad. Like the consequences are high. But if I just stay in my comfort zone and ride these trails and never hit something like this, I'm never going to know. Mm-hmm. And I look at life the same way. In my professional life, there's been times where where I've looked at something and said, this is a pretty big risk. And, and I'm going out on a limb here. And if this doesn't work out, it is not going to be good. But if it does, it's going to be awesome. So it's the same kind of thing. You, you got to stand at the top of that drop. And, and at some point, you just have to make that commitment because no one's going to do it for you. Mm-hmm. you know, no one's going to no ride it for you and then tell you, okay, you're good. You're going to make that commitment. You're going to take a chance. And uh, sometimes it doesn't work out. But when it does, you're able to grow. Now you've progressed and you've gotten out of your comfort zone. And when, once you do that once at all, whether it's on a mountain bike or in life, once you do that and you realize that feeling of, wow, if I take a chance and it works out, that's it. So that's what it means to me.
2: Well, Jonas and John, I thank you very much for your time. This is going to be a good one to get out and maybe we'll get some more people fired up on mountain biking and they can enjoy the trails as much as we do. So. Thanks, Thanks,
3: man. appreciate you having us.
1: Awesome, man. Thank you. Thank you for listening. Links for the various topics discussed in the show can be found in the show notes. If you like what you've heard, please take the time to share these shows with others. Sharing these shows will help create awareness of both the guests who have taken the time to be on the show and the podcast series itself. This podcast has been made possible by Mountain Bike Radio, Smith's Bike Shop in La Crosse, Wisconsin, and as an Evolution Trail Services production. If you have ideas on future communities or people to feature on Trail Effect, Please don't hesitate to reach out by emailing evolutiontrails at gmail.com. Thank you again for listening.